Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. I could have just kept worshiping. I, uh, I not only enjoyed worshiping myself, but I got to tell you, I got chills just listening to you all. I mean, just hearing all those voices just singing out, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Can you all come back every day and we'll just do this? Because <laughs> can I tell you, I, I need it every day. I need it every day. We need the Lord every day, too. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. While you're turning there, just want to give an acknowledgement or two. I want to thank all of you that were able to join us either physically or spiritually for our day of prayer yesterday. I want to thank our hospitality team for having refreshments here for the day. I want to thank our security team for being here throughout the day. And just all of you that participated and came uh, either to the auditorium here at the church or uh, were in your homes or somewhere else and you were joining us in prayer. That, that just was a very special day. And as you came onto the church uh, property yesterday, if you got here early especially, I also want to give a, a shout out and acknowledgement to all of our people, our amazing servants of God here at the Oasis, who week in and week out uh, clean the church inside and, and do the work outside to be trimming all the, the bushes and shrubs and everything like that. I just want you to know as the pastor, thank you. Thank you for what you do week in and week out to make our church just so beautiful. Yeah, let's, yeah. We just have a lot of dedicated servants here, and I, I just don't want you to ever feel like I take that for granted. I, I do not take for granted what you do here week in and week out. Speaking of service, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, primarily looking at it from the lens of what can we learn about being a servant of God as we look at Jesus, as we see how he served, as we see the things that he says to those that are following him about serving the Lord. And so that's sort of where we're always coming from when we're traveling through the gospel of Luke. In fact, uh, this whole series is based on a verse of Scripture that the Lord gave to his followers when he said, if anyone wants to serve me, they must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be there as well. So in order to serve Jesus, we've got to be a devoted follower of Jesus. We've, we've got to be following him in his footsteps everywhere that he goes that's where we've got to be going. And so where he is, that's, that's where we'll be. That's what it really means to serve the Lord. And so as you come to Luke chapter 19, guess what we're going to be doing? We're going to be following in the footsteps of Jesus today. And the thing that I think begins to add a little pathos, if you will, to what we're looking at today is that let's not forget and, and let's let this truth just sort of sit there throughout everything we're looking at today. This is a week. The events of this chapter are about a week away from Jesus hanging on the cross. So think about that. What, what could Jesus be doing other than what he's doing? And yet 
this is what we find Jesus doing about a week out from hanging on that cross. Like many times, I found myself wanting to start towards the end of the chapter because I think it's there that we sort of get a key that unlocks the rest of what goes on in the chapter. So I'd like to begin this morning in verses 41 through 44, where Jesus actually now is expressing loud grief over the city of Jerusalem that he's just entered into in a triumphal way. He's expressing this deep emotional grief because he understands that the majority of people in that city are still living in darkness. And they have not opened up their hearts to him as their Messiah, to him as the Son of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And it's breaking Jesus' heart. We see here the deep emotion of Jesus. The Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. And Jesus is here pouring out his heart over the city. It, it is, it is a, a really sobering scene that's taking place here. It says, when Jesus, verse 41, approached and saw the city, he wept over it saying, if you had only known on this day, even you, the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and surround you and close you in on from every side. They will demolish you, you and your children, within your walls, and they will not leave within you one stone on top of another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Notice back up in verse 41 that Jesus says, if you had only known on this day. In other words, they could have known, but they did not know. They should have known what was taking place, but they did not know. And because of that, Jesus predicts the destruction of Jerusalem would be a direct result of their rejection of their Messiah, which would happen in 70 AD when the Roman uh, legions would march into Jerusalem and do exactly what Jesus predicted would happen here. But I want now our eyes to direct their attention to the very end of verse 44, because this has great application for you and I today. Jesus says, this is going to happen because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. You did not recognize the opportunity that God gave you at this time. It's not just talking about time in general. It's talking about God opening up, in a sense, a, a specific door of opportunity, that there's an opportunity, a special opportunity to seize here, and, and, and we dare not miss it. Because God, in a sense, is, is, is granting grace and, and favor and blessing in, in a special way here to draw his people to himself. And Jesus is saying, you did not walk through the door that God opened for you. You did not seize that opportunity. You did not recognize it. One of the first things then that we learn, and I think this unlocks the rest of the passage, is that if you and I are going to serve the Lord we better learn to recognize the doors that God opens for us. 
and to seize the opportunities that God gives us, especially those special opportunities throughout our life where there's something special going on and it's not going to be that way forever and it's not going to happen that way forever. And we've even certainly seen that in our own country and in our world just in the last couple of months when you and I might have thought things are just going to always continue the way we think they are up until the time we die and leave this earth. And we now, even as God's people, have been reminded, oh, we shouldn't take that for granted because it might not be the way we always thought it was going to be which is why then we need to be even more in tune with these times and these seasons that God gives us. Paul said to the Corinthians, a door of great opportunity stands wide open for me. And I'm walking through it, Paul says, in spite of there being many adversaries, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. They did not recognize the time of God's visitation. See, I think God has a message for us in that, both individually and as a community of believers. I'll just tell you, as the pastor of this church, I applied that to even myself, thinking, am I seizing the opportunity to work and pastor with such wonderful people, to have the leaders around me that I do here, to take full advantage of being the pastor of this church and to have the opportunity to, to, to be with you all and to do ministry with you all and to grow together because I haven't had this throughout my whole Christian life. And I, I, I can't be sure that this season and this door and this opportunity to do this with you, I don't know how much longer that is. And so God very much impressed upon me, seize the opportunity. Because can I tell you, and, and, and I'm not here to say, you know, like it does, it's not happening anywhere, but what God is doing here and the sense of his presence here and the way God is moving and working and the way he's growing us all, and stuff, that doesn't always happen in every local church. And so we need to recognize that if, if God is meeting with us in a special way and he's doing something special with the group of people that he's brought together, then we better recognize that this time that we are in and the season that we are in and the door that God has opened for us now because we don't know how long that door is going to stay open and how much longer we might have to do this together. Now, the encouraging thing is this. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, it's recorded there, that when God opens a door, no man can shut it. And when God closes a door, no man can open it. And we better be careful, even as Christians, that we're not spending time trying to pry open a door that God's closed. We go much further and much more effective in just looking for the doors that God is already opening for us or that are open and walk through those doors instead of trying to pry open the doors that God has closed. Honestly, this phrase out of verse 44 haunts me. I think that's a good way to describe it. it, it it's a motivation. It's an inspiration. They did not recognize the opportunity that was given to them. To think about it, God was on earth for 30 plus years and that they had the opportunity to follow him physically for three years if they so desired. 
And many of them missed that opportunity. And I think back over my life and even here at the Oasis about what God is doing and, and do we take the times and the seasons and the open doors for granted because it may not always be like this. So with that said, let's go back to the beginning of this chapter and see some of the things that Jesus was doing in the very last week before he went to the cross and we begin to see the values and the way Jesus operated that hopefully will have a great impact upon the way you and I serve the Lord and the way we live our life. The first 10 verses are about a very familiar man that if you went to Sunday school when you were a little child like I did, you learned about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was this tax collector that it says in verse 3 was trying to get a look at Jesus. Now, this doesn't just mean that he physically wanted to get a better uh, view of what Jesus looked like physically. No, this is he wanted to get more acquainted. He wanted to get to the bottom of who Jesus was. He had heard about Jesus, and he was intrigued and he may have even heard about Jesus from another tax collector who became a follower of Jesus by the name of Matthew. And so the Bible says he ran ahead, and because of his short stature, he climbed up into this tree to get a better or closer view of Jesus as Jesus passed by. And in verse 5, it says, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly. Did you notice something there in verse 5? The eyes that see everything in the universe saw him. Guess what? The eyes that see everything in the universe sees you too. And then, how did he know his name? Because the mind that knows everything in the universe knew him. And the mind that knows everything in this universe knows you too. He knows you by name. And he says to Zacchaeus, come down quickly because here it is, I must stay at your house today. Literally, I have a divine appointment with you. So here's what we learn about serving God. You and I, as we walk through our day, need to be sensitive to the divine appointments that God has for us. Jesus says, I must meet with you today. I must stay at your house. You and I have an appointment. You didn't know this before the day started, but I did. And I knew that in spite of the fact that a week from now, I'm going to be on a cross in Jerusalem. And there's so many other things that I could be doing. I have time for you as an individual. I have time for the one who's despised in society, the tax collector. I have one who's an outcast in society, the tax collector. I have time to come to your house because you and I need to do some business. Every day, as servants of the Lord, we should get up. And yes, it's okay to have sort of a plan, but that plan always needs to be subordinated to the divine appointments that God may have for us that day the things that we maybe didn't plan on doing that God says, you know what, I want you to do that today, or I want you to go there today, or I want you to meet with that person today, or I want you to reach out to that person. Because that's the way Jesus lived. 
by divine appointment. And you and I could say, there's so many other people that Jesus could have spent time with, with only a week left before he was crucified than Zacchaeus. But no, no, no. Because obviously salvation was going to come to the house of Zacchaeus that day. Zacchaeus' heart was open. And we know that Zacchaeus had done some business with God and that his heart was changed when he says in verse 8 that just like the Lord stopped and looked up to him in verse 5, notice Zacchaeus stopped in verse 8 and says, Lord, I need to tell you something. My heart's changed. And all the bad stuff that I've done as a tax collector, I'm going to make it right. And Jesus simply said, that's just proof that something really did happen in your heart today, Zacchaeus. Today, salvation came to you and your household. And Zacchaeus, the whole reason I came to your house today and I kept this divine appointment is because the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Verse 10. Divine appointments. Because we need to recognize the time and seize the opportunities that we are given in this world because our lives are but a vapor and we appear for a very short time and then we're gone. And things aren't always going to maybe be the way we think they're going to be on this earth anymore. In fact, can I say I believe that they're going to change even more rapidly than we ever imagined. And you and I are going to be living in very strange times. And we better... Be so in tune with the Lord that we seize those opportunities and that we keep those divine appointments. Secondly, beginning in verse 11, Jesus shares a parable that goes all the way down through, really, verse 27. And the, the basis of the parable is this. Are we using everything that God has entrusted to us and blessed us with, are we using it to make advances for his kingdom. He talks about this nobleman who comes and, and in a sense entrusts uh, those that are underneath him with certain things. And then he leaves. And the, he says, now, a lot of these people didn't want this person to be king over them, but while he was away, he received his kingdom, and he came back to sort of settle accounts with how his servants did with what he gave to them while he was away. Guess what? We're there, folks. Jesus is away, but he's coming back. And he's going to set up his kingdom. And while he's away, he's entrusted his servants with stuff, with, with gifts and abilities and talents and time and all this stuff. And, and, and you and I, what are we doing with it to advance his kingdom? And you and I are going to be able to stand before him and give an account of what we've done with our lives and, and our gifts and our talents and our abilities and all that. There's coming a day where we will stand and give that account. And Jesus says in verse 13, he summoned 10 of his slaves, gave them 10 minas and said, do business with these until I come back. Basically, occupy yourself with what I've given you. Be diligent in managing what has been entrusted to you. Be diligent and be engaged in the task that Christ has appointed to us and given to us to do. do are we doing the business of God with our lives? 
Even Jesus, as a young man, when his parents found him in the temple, he said, didn't you know this is where I should be? Because I've got to be about my father's business. Same concept. Are we living our lives about our father's business? Again, he goes away, but he returns. And notice verse 15, when he returned after receiving the kingdom, he summoned those servants or slaves to whom he had given them this, and he wanted to know how much they had earned by trading. The accounting concerns one's faithfulness during the master's absence. And notice it isn't just enough just to say, well, I guarded it. (laughs) No, no, no. God doesn't expect us to live that way, just to guard it. He expects us to make something out of it, to invest it, to to grow the kingdom, if you will. That's the important thing here. Notice he says, he wanted to know how much, verse 15, at the end, they had earned by trading. So the first one came before him and said, Sir, your mina has made ten minas more. Spiritual gains were made. There were advances in the kingdom because of my life and what you gave me, Lord. I didn't just sit there with it. I used it and I invested it in eternal things. And because of it, other people's lives were touched. The king said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in very small matters, you will have authority over 10 cities. Whoa. Jesus is pointing out that when we get to the kingdom, those who've been faithful in little will be rewarded greatly and generously, more than we could ever imagine. The second one came, basically the same. Sir, I made five. King said, then you're going to be over five cities. But then verse 20, another slave came and said, Sir, here is your mina that I put away for safekeeping in a piece of cloth. You know what that says? I played it safe. I hid it. I held on to it. And I think about so many Christians down through history who lived that way. They played it safe. They, They held on to it. They hid their talents. They hid their gifts. They hid their abilities. Nobody in the body ever knew they could do this or that or whatever. They they never wanted to put themselves out there, make themselves vulnerable, and, and, and use their life and what God gave them to positively make gains in God's kingdom. And part of it may be that they had a total misunderstanding of who God was, just like this man, because notice verse 21 says, well, I was afraid. He was literally paralyzed into inaction. We know that happens in our life, right? Sometimes we can get so fearful that we don't do anything. We just sit there and spin because we don't want to do anything, and we certainly don't want to do something wrong, so we don't do nothing. That was this man. He misjudged the character of the nobleman, just like many people, even Christians, misjudge the character and nature of God. Well, you're a severe man, and you withdraw what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow, and totally is so off base as to what he thinks of the nobleman. And because of that, notice in verse 24, Jesus says, then take the mina that was given to him and give it to the one who has ten. You think, well, wait a minute. Just like they said, well, wait. This guy has ten minas already. Yeah. 
Failure to use what we've been given will result in losing what we've been given. Wasted opportunities now result in loss of privilege in eternity. And those who've been faithful now will be given more because they've proven to God that they can handle it and that they're not going to hide it and that they're not going to play it safe and then they're not just going to hold on to it. So Jesus is saying, they did not recognize the time that God was visiting them, the time of God's favor and blessing and opportunity. Jesus recognized that time because he lived by divine appointment. He stopped and had time with a man named Zacchaeus. And then Jesus says, I need to teach you a parable a parable that hopefully will motivate and inspire you again to know the time, that while I'm away, I'm expecting you to do something with your life and with what I've blessed you with and what I've given you. I don't expect you just to sit there and play it safe, but to get out there and touch other people's lives with the talents, gifts, and abilities and life that I've given you because you've only got so much time on this earth. We don't get a second go around. We don't get to die and then come back again and do it over again. You and I have one life. We've got one opportunity to make this work. And then it's done for all of eternity. There's something else in this passage, beginning in verse 28. Jesus, after he said this, he continued on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples telling them, go to the village ahead of you. When you enter it, you will find a colt tied there that has never been ridden. Untie it, bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you are untying it, just say, the Lord needs it. I love that. Because that brings us to this next principle about serving the Lord. And that is, are we making ourselves and what God has given us available to him if he wants to use it? Now listen, God doesn't need anything. So when Jesus says the Lord needs it, it's simply a way of expressing, I want to use that cult in my service. I, I want to use that cult to bring glory and honor to me. I want to use that to fulfill scripture which was written about in Zechariah 9, 9, where it predicted that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on the back of a colt. Jesus says, I have need of that today. Will you make it available to me? And Jesus, I believe, comes along in our life. Are we recognizing the time and opportunity? And he'll say, Jeff, I want you to do this for me. Are you willing? Jeff, the thing that I gave you there, I, I, I would like to use that. Will you, will you live with open hands and give that to me? Because do you recognize that everything that you have anyway, it came from me? And, and so will you give it back to me for a time or even permanently? I have need of that. I, I want to use that as your God. Will you give that over to me or will you keep it? And true servants of the Lord, always are making themselves available to God for whatever he wants to do with our lives and with all of our stuff that he's given us. If he wants it, then good, Lord, it's, it's yours, because it's yours anyway. If, if I 
If you didn't give it to me, I wouldn't have it to begin with. I learned a long time ago that it's not our ability that really makes a difference in being a servant of the Lord. It's more our availability. Because if you and I just make ourselves available to God as we learn in Scripture, he makes us competent. He makes us adequate. He makes us able. I don't need to worry about my ability. I just need to give myself over to the Lord. Lord, I make myself available. Whatever you want for me today, this week, this month, this year, whatever plan you have for me, Lord, I make myself available. Oh, and Lord, if you want one of my colts, I don't have a colt, but if I did, <laughs> here it is, Lord, and you never even have to give it back. If you want that for the rest of the time, then it's yours. Maybe even right now, you know in your life, your heart, your mind, God has been saying, I want you to do something for me, and you've been fighting it. You've been pushing back. I would just like to encourage you, just make yourself available. Maybe God is specifically coming into your life right now and saying, I want that thing that you have in your life right now. Will you give it to me for my service? Will you let me use that? Will you share that with somebody else? The Lord needs it. As they were untying the colt, verse 33, its owner said, why are you untying that colt? <laughs> Can you imagine being the two guys that went for the colt? You know, I hope Jesus is right, or else we're going to get arrested. <laughs> and they replied, the Lord needs it. By the way, doesn't this illustrate that when God is in something, you and I don't need to worry about the details. God's in the details. Then they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, had Jesus get on it. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and as he approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. They began to celebrate with praise. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, before we move on, let me say this. I can remember from a child, I went to a church where Palm Sunday was celebrated. Not as much as the next Sunday, Easter, but it was a big deal. I can remember as a child walking in thinking it was so cool that on Palm Sunday, everybody got a palm frond. And can I say that was back in Maryland where there weren't palm trees? So I thought it was really cool. It's like, wow, I got a palm, you know. And everybody in the church would have palms and it was, it was a big deal. And then as I grew and I started to read the story about the triumphal entry, it really bothered me that as Christians, at least to me, we were celebrating that. And here's why. Because the same crowd that was saying to him, now, blessed are you that comes in the name of the Lord, because here's the thing. They weren't saying that because they wanted to be delivered from their sin. They were saying that because they wanted to be delivered from Roman oppression. And because Jesus came the first time not to deliver them from Roman oppression, but to deliver them from sin, they didn't like him very much when they realized he's not coming to overthrow our Roman oppressors. And so the very same people that celebrated him coming into Jerusalem a week later are the same people who are crying out before Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. And I thought, why are we celebrating them? They're not faithful, they're fickle. 
And it reminds us of the fickleness of people, doesn't it? Even those who claim to be Christ followers, that they sort of put their finger up in the air and see which way the wind's blowing. Oh, the wind's blowing that way this week? Okay, we'll go that way. Oh, the wind's that's the way the crowd's going? Okay, we'll go that way. It's not the way God wants us to live. God's looking for faithful people, not fickle people. But God is looking for these kind of people. In verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Basically, tell them to shut up. Now remember, these are the religious leaders of Israel, right? But they're jealous of Jesus, and they feel very threatened of Jesus, so they're like trying to tamp down the, the celebration, right? Jesus said, I tell you, I love that. If they keep silent or quiet, the very stones will cry out. You know another way we can serve him? By being a witness and testifying to others about Jesus, being bold in our witness, being courageous in our witness. Because the world and even other religious people who don't believe in Jesus will try to shut the church up. We'll try to shut Christians up. We'll try to keep our mouth closed. And we as Christians, we need to seize those opportunities when God gives them to us. Yes, Ecclesiastes says there's a time to be silent, but the same verse also says there's a time to speak up. And too often, we're very good about being the silent church, the quiet church, rather than the speaking up church. And it is time for Christians to be very aware of the opportunities that God gives us, the time and the opportunity, so that when we have the opportunity to praise Him, to celebrate Him, to exalt Him, to testify of Him, to witness of Him, to point others to Him, that we take those opportunities, that we are not silent. By the way, I think because most of this crowd did turn on Jesus, there were stones that cried out. You know the story of the crucifixion and resurrection. You know that there was a great earthquake and the stones were literally jumping up and down, so to speak. And then there was a witness of another stone, the stone that was laid in front of Jesus' tomb. That stone was removed that stone was crying out that Jesus Christ was no mere man. He was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. And death could not hold him. And the grave could not keep him. That's who Jesus is. So no wonder, after these things, when Jesus approaches Jerusalem, in verse 41, he's brokenhearted because he knows the unbelief. He senses the spiritual darkness. He knows that in spite of the fact that he came to earth and literally lived his life out before others, that the majority missed it because they did not recognize the time of God's visitation. Folks, I don't know about you, but after the last couple months, I get a very strong sense that you and I 
the window of our opportunity to truly be the church as we knew it and to be a voice in this world to bring people to Jesus and to have the opportunities to touch other people's lives is starting to shrink rapidly. And if you and I don't recognize the time, we're going to miss these final opportunities we have to do something with our life and the time that we have on this earth to make a difference for Jesus Christ while we're here. Because, first of all, we're not going to come together like we ever did before. It's just not going to happen. I know I had even Christians look at me as if I was crazy when this whole thing started, and I said, do you realize that if we have to shut down and stop meeting and people start doing the whole social distancing thing, that there will be people even at the Oasis, just like there will be people at other churches that will never come back to church ever again. Never. Now, some will eventually come. But some will never come back. They're, they're gone. They're, they're gone. And the time that we had with them, we won't ever get again. I think that's what God wants to impress upon us is, folks, we've just got limited opportunities here now in this world to really make a difference for the kingdom. And we need to make sure that when God opens those doors that we go through them because those doors won't remain open forever. If anyone wants to serve me, Jesus says, they must follow me. And where I am, that's where you'll find my servants, right there with Jesus. Do we want Jesus more than anything? Let's stand and pray. God, today, I ask God that you would do business with your people today. And that we, like Zacchaeus, would say, Lord, stop. <laughs> I, I need to do some business with you, God. I need to share with you, Lord, about the, the change of heart that's taking place just because, Lord, I allowed you to get close to me. Because it's very obvious from the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus that spending time with God doesn't need to be a lot of time for a heart to change. It can change just like that. Zacchaeus's heart melted as soon as he got close to Jesus. And Jesus, I know that you are here with us today. I sense your presence here with your people today. You have opened up yourself to us. You are visiting your people. You are here, God, present to bless and to, to favor and to refresh and to encourage and to strengthen us. And I pray, God, that your people, unlike those 2,000 years ago, would not let this opportunity slip by, that we would recognize the time that you are visiting with us and that you are opening up yourself up to us, and that, Lord, we will walk through this door of opportunity 
and that we will seize it, God. And that, God, whatever you want from our life, whatever you want from us as a church, a community of believers, God, that we will say, yes, Lord, if you need us, if you need us, if you need that thing, whatever it is, Lord, if you need it, it's yours, God. Because, Lord, more than anything else, we love you. We just want to follow you. We just want to serve you, God. For the few days, weeks, months, or years we have left on this planet, God, we want to make it all about you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for being present here with us today. You are as real right now in this room as if you were standing here, God. And I pray, God, that we would just soak you up and seize these opportunities that are so precious in this world. Because one day, we're going to see our King face to face. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.